100 years ago, O. Henry wrote, wrote a brilliant story about a Christmas gift giving gone wrong. Jim and Della were a young married couple, but they're very poor living in a small flat in the city. You can imagine the stress of loving your spouse yet unable to afford a good gift. The story ends on Christmas Eve with Jim coming home from work, walking down the hall of their apartment, and Della's standing inside the door and hearing his footsteps, she begins to pray. Please God, make him think I'm still pretty. Make him think I'm still pretty. You see, Della earlier that day had her hair cut off and it was heartbreaking to her her shining hair had actually cascaded like a waterfall down to her knees. It was her pride and joy. But after she had paid the bills earlier, she only had $1.87 left to buy a Christmas gift for her beloved Jim. So she ran to the wig maker, sold her hair for 20 bucks, and then she ran to the jewelry store in search of his gift. You see, Jim's prized possession was this grandfather's gold watch that had been handed down and Jim loved looking at that watch, and now he's gonna have a gold chain to hang it to. This, the costly gift held in the hand of this praying girl with the cut hair. This story has a real tearjerker of an ending. We readers discover that poor Jim has a gift too. You see, he had sold his prized watch to buy Della a pair of shell combs for her hair that she had so admired. And now here they are at Christmas. No watch for the chain, no hair for the combs. Each of their gifts now useless because of their supreme sacrifices. And Henry concludes the story with this parable. He says, Here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures in their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these are the wisest, of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are the wisest. Everywhere they are the wisest, they are the magi. Henry calls this couple the Magi, referring to the wise men we're about to read about in Matthew 2. And Henry's getting at something right and true. This poor couple looks like fools right now, right? To a consumer culture all about acquiring stuff, but they have been the wisest. Now understanding truly what it means, it is better to give than to receive. Get into their shoes. What is better, a metal chain for a watch, ornaments for hair, or the greater joy of knowing that you are so loved by your beloved that they sacrifice their greatest gift for you? This is a gospel kind of picture. The gospel, my friends, is God giving up his greatest treasure, his only son for you. So let's pray that we might take in God's sacrificial love 
that we might be able to give and adore him better. Let's pray. Father, a simple prayer. Will you help us to see Jesus more clearly, that we may love him more dearly and follow him more nearly? We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Turn in your Bibles or on your devices or it's printed in your bulletins to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses. Now hear the word of our God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. With Rex, I welcome you this morning, and I'm so happy to open God's word. I'm presently on a quest, a quest to better know and adore my Heavenly Father. And I know many of you are with me on that quest to discover the God who made himself knowable when the Son of God took on our flesh, when a baby was born, Jesus Christ, on that first Christmas. Knowing our Father doesn't just happen easily or automatically. Why? Because humanity has been hijacked. Long ago, our first parents, Adam and Eve, had this perfect relationship with their Heavenly Father. He had created them. He gave them this amazing planet to enjoy as his gift. In order to build trust with them, he gave them one rule. You can eat of any tree at all, but not that one. That one's poison. Trust me. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Turn the page. Our enemy, the devil, shows up and he tempts Eve. In Genesis 3, 1, he says, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now we see how clever the devil is in that he mixes enough truth into a lie that we can buy in. But I actually want us to notice something else. You may not have noticed before how the devil depersonalizes our father. For homework, go home later and read Genesis 2, 4, 
all the way into chapter 3, up to this question. You actually will see, my Bible subtitles it, The Creation of Man and Woman. Every time in this section that God is named, he interacts with his newly created children. Every time he is named, he is named Lord God. Every time. Or in the Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim. Twelve times you'll see that right up to Satan's question. But notice what Satan says. Did God, simply Elohim, he leaves off God's name. You see what Satan is doing? He's objectifying our father, making him generic. It's clever because it's still respectful. He's God, right? But it's depersonalizing. To make it clear, there's all the difference in the world between me saying, how are you doing, Rex? And me saying, how are you doing, doctor? He's slyly demoting our father in that question, suggesting he is actually unknowable. He's God. Which leaves then what Eve to think? I'm less than a daughter. I'm not loved. And the fall has led to our adoration disorder. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. Why we can actually be amazed by the creator, but not adore our God. Not knowing him as our loving father and adoring him as, our ch as his children. And what happens then? Well, we're hardwired to adore, so we adore and devote ourselves to all the created things. And we sometimes then, you know, give a salute to the distant God who's blessed us with some stuff. Or we feel in love because we've gotten so little in this life. Friends, the Old Testament is God's rescue mission to move us back into intimate relationship with him. Remember, actually, turn to Exodus. What does God do when Moses he calls Moses? He actually gives him back his, the name that's been lost, recovered. He says, I am Yahweh, the one who sent you. The Father is setting the plate in the Old Testament for the New Testament, where he can finally reveal himself as our loving Heavenly Father in the coming of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. The Father gifting us with his greatest treasure, his son, so we might know his love. And this is why we should have exceeding joy like these wise men. I mean, look at verse 10. They rejoiced exceedingly, on then add on top of it, with great joy. <coughs> I want to have that kind of joy this Christmas. Do you? I don't hear a whole lot of wanting joy. Come on. This is, this is the greatest news that could ever happen. The Father's love to you. Don't you want to have the kind of joy that makes your neighbors say, what on earth did those folks uncover? You realize that this wise men showing up, this was all over this headline news in the Jerusalem Times of their day, right? These wise men show up out of the blue asking, where is the new king? By the way, there are more than three uh, wee kings, and they weren't kings either, by the way. This actually would have been quite an entourage. These are powerful men who probably have servants and guards. I think a modern equivalent would be a jet arriving in our capital filled with wealthy Asian academics, okay? And then they go public saying that their research has led them to, of all places, Indiana. And after stopping off at the governor's house, they jump in limos and then head to Elkhart to go to the poorest part of town, invest a whole ton, tens of thousands of dollars in one poor family, and then they disappear never to be seen again. 
What would folks say about them today? That their search and their discovery was absolutely crazy, right? Foolish. Popular opinion would write them off as nut jobs, as would these Bethlehem neighbors, right? Can you imagine being next door and seeing this? How could it be that those guys on their search found the answer in that dirt poor child? Well, it certainly seems like they did. <laughs> Do you see the joy on their faces? I've never seen people so happy. What do they have that I don't? What do they know that I don't? It puts my whole life into question. I mean, they have power, they have money, they have intellect, all the things I delight in or wish I had. We're going to explore these wise men because they are the wisest of all. By the way, uh, I want to note, Matthew starts off this chapter now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the word for child here refers to toddler. And by the way, it's a house, not a manger. Okay, so basically I'm saying to you, there were no wise men on the first Christmas Eve. There were no gifts and there's no star over the manger. I'm sorry if I've ruined some of your Christmas displays. Cat ones exempted. But knowing... Knowing this is important because we need to, if we're going to have great joy, we need to be more influenced by our Bibles than by Christmas cards, okay? I have three words for us this morning. Searching, Scripture, and sacrifice. Searching, Scripture, and sacrifice. Our journey to joy starts with sovereign searching, like these Eastern mystery men. We don't know much about them. Now, sovereign is also another word for king or ruler. And all of us, in one sense, we're searching for something. There is something that rules your heart, that makes you search for things in this life. What we believe will bring us joy, completeness, or bring meaning to our existence. I know a four-year-old girl who's asked me at least 20 times in the last month that I would pray that God would give her a unicorn. Why? Because we're searchers from our earliest age. 30 years ago, like these wise men, I was following a star. I had my Lurie book strategy books, strategies. I woke up early every morning. I ran and shot hoops before school every single day. Why? I was on the search for basketball greatness. That would complete my life, make me matter to those in high school. How many children today are searching for that? Some are searching for a relationship. Or maybe a better one after looking for love in all the wrong places. Someone like a Jim or Adela have a heart that's true for me. I want to live. I want to give. I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give that keep me searching for a heart of gold. And I'm getting old. And Neil Young is. And some get old in their search for wealth, for stuff, for big kid toys. Search forevermore to promote my image, my career, my search for power, academics. Like these wise men. By the way, these are the scientists or philosophers of their day. These are the academics. What were they doing? They were searching for wisdom in the skies. And actually, that's a very good start. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. 
Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world where we find our wise men. They're searching the skies and they are suddenly gripped by this star that appears. We don't know really what it was. Calvin actually says it was a secret instinct of the spirit that led them to be just fascinated by this star, this unique phenomenon in the heavens they'd never seen before. The spirit is the other person of the blessed Holy Trinity. And we know the spirit moved them, made this sign in the sky absolutely irresistible. I'd invite you to look up Numbers 24:17. There's a prophecy from a well-known pagan prophet named Balaam. They likely read this. They may have studied Daniel. He was actually someone who lived in the East prior to them. We don't really know, but somehow they connected this sign in the sky to this prophesied king of the Jews to come. But what's really incredible is them going home and saying, uh, honey, you gotta take a business trip. <laughs> oh, how long are you gonna be gone? I don't know, <laughs> months. It's a thousand miles away at least. What are you going to see? Uh, there's some king of the Jews. Who are the Jews? There's some little podunk nation. Nobody knows who the Jews are at this time. But I gotta go, honey. Really? Somehow, they're compelled to go. Why would they care about some new king in some tiny little subjugated nation? Why? Because it was the sovereign searcher at work leading these sovereign searchers. What do you mean, Joel? <laughs> Friend, Jesus once made a trip to find a lost woman who didn't think she was pretty in John 4. And in verse 23, he tells this woman at the well that he came because his father was seeking worshipers. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, the Father is actually searching for you. And Jesus will later say that his Father gave him a present. A present? What present did the Father give the Son? A people. Jesus says repeatedly that all who come to him are drawn, are given by the Father. John 6.37, John 6.39, 10.29, 17.9, nine, 17.11, 17.24. The Bible teaches that wise men cannot resist when the Father begins to draw you. That may be why you're here today. The searching sovereign employs all kinds of means to draw us to seek Jesus. And some of you know this experientially. Maybe you're a victim of a Holy Spirit drive-by. <laughs> Maybe you fell in love with someone and it just so happens, turns out they're a Christian and you get pulled in. Maybe it's the opposite experience. Something really bad happened. And in desperation, you cried out to the God you thought, maybe might hear you and he did I was actually just talking with a man who had something crazy happen to him in prison and he came to faith the sovereign searcher can use any means to get us started on our journey to Jesus and my question for you my not yet Christian friend what or who drew you God is sovereign and you know what his heart aches for you his heart aches for you do you realize that You've heard of Aristotle's the unmoved mover, right? I think most people think of God that way. No, the God of the Bible is the moved mover. He has a heart of compassion that he's constantly moving towards us, trying to draw us to himself. He sees you. He sees your life. Maybe you've been searching for significance. 
You're manufacturing, mattering things to do. Maybe you're starving to belong. And to quote Bono, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you won't find it anywhere else other than in the God who made you for himself. Friends, the Father has brought all of us today here. And that tug on your heart is actually the Spirit. So don't stuff it down. Give thanks and welcome your Father's invitation to adore him for seeking you out. The Father is seeking worshipers, and the wonderful thing, he's totally impartial. He doesn't play favorites. His first audience to announce the good news of the king, who is it? A bunch of uneducated, smelly shepherds. And who's next? A bunch of pagan magi from the other side of the world. Don't buy into the devil's lie that the Father doesn't want you. If you feel that pull on your heart, that's him. I say that both as an encouragement and a warning because your Father will get a hold of you. Some of us might have an image of our Father's early age, right? You can find his warm embrace the easy way or the hard way. It's better to obey. Even if you make many missteps in your search, if you're trying to search for God, just like these guys, they make some mistakes. Notice they don't go to Bethlehem. They head to the capital, the place of power. They assume the new king is going to be born in a place of nobility, right? A place where wealth is. We make a whole lot of assumptions when we only know God generically. They arrive seeking the new king, and boy, <laughs> Herod's troubled about this. He's like an egomaniac of this time who's always worried about who's plotting my overthrow. He actually killed his wife, three of his boys, for this very reason. So Herod calls all the Bible scholars together to find out where is this new threat going to come from. And there I immediately take him right to Micah. Micah chapter 5, the Old Testament prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You realize the wise men have not come to Jesus yet. And do you see why? The star can't get you to Jesus. Their wisdom can't get them to Jesus. What do they need? Scripture. God can employ any means to start your journey to joy. But if you don't come to the Bible, you don't come to Christ. I've heard stories of Muslims having dreams and nations of Jesus speaking to them in their dreams. And in every case, they say the dream wasn't enough. They go looking for God's word. They go looking for a church. Dreams can be of help, like we see in verse 12. But friends, we have a surer communication. This is what our Bibles are for us. If we want to come to Jesus and if we want to adore him more than anything else, we must have his word in our hand and in our hearts. Not just in our hands. It's got to be in our hearts. I'm going to ask you the question, are you getting the word? Last week I handed out 20 promises in God's word. 20 promises for the last 20 days of 2023. 20 assurances from your Father of what is true of us in Christ, who we are in Christ, so that we might better adore him. 20 meditations that if you would take in and imagine just five minutes of holy imagination that this is totally true of me. Imagine what our life would be like if I truly believed what's said here. Take it into the core of your being. Anybody here been blessed by that besides Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth's shaking her head. You know, one of the promises 
that I read last week was that through Christ I am declared righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30. I was thinking on that promise. I got up just like thinking on it, kept bringing it back to my mind. You want to know what happened? I was on the road. Another driver got offended at me for my driving. Now, I'm not going to mention what I did because that's not important here for my purposes. But what I say is that this driver made very clear that Joel was not a good person. But I found myself joyful as they zipped by me in a hurry. Why? Because my, despite my failure to live up to the court of public opinion at that time, I looked up to the only court that matters, where my father is judge. And Jesus is there saying, Father, look at righteous Joel. Don't pay attention to this drive. Look at righteous Joel and me. I found myself joyful on my journey because I was meditating on my insurance policy. Jesus already paid for all my bad driving, even all those wrecks in my life that I've caused, lots of wrecks. We all have caused lots of wrecks. At Calvary's cross, I'm declared righteous and I can now live as a new creation, a member of the new creation. We also need the reminder that God's word is all about Jesus. And by the way, even Bible folks forget that. Notice the scribes, that's the Pharisees, the guys who've memorized the Bible, and the priests. They don't know their Bible. They know it so well that Herod says, so where's the prophecy? They're like, oh, it's here. Micah 5. And what do they do? It's the incredible promise of Christ has come. He's here. They don't do anything. They answer the question to Herod and they go back to bed. And Bethlehem's only five miles away. They have all the evidence in the world, these Bible believers. They have a heavenly revelation. They have expert scholars from the East who can tell you its meaning. They even have God's promise in his word. You see why Paul asks in 1 Corinthians, as Rex read, where is the teacher of the law? They think they're wise, but they're legalists. They only see by human standards. We can come to see the Bible as a rule book that teaches us how to color between the lines. Friends, the Bible is a book that invites us to find the one who did color between the lines and kept the law perfectly. So we can throw away our coloring pages of our lives and step out in the new technicolor reality that Jesus has brought in, where we are freed to know we're loved by our Father and freed to adore Jesus for all he's done. And out of gratitude, we begin to live more and more and look like him. I actually find Herod's advice here to be really wise. He calls in the wise men, he gives them scriptures, and then he tells them to go out and search diligently for the child. Friends, listen to Herod here. The only time I'll ever tell you to listen to Herod. Be a wise one. Search your Bible and find Jesus Christ in all his benefits. God rewards those who diligently seek him. If you leave here and you don't open your Bible all week long, don't expect a reward from your father. But he wants to. He's inviting you. This is a personal invitation to know your heavenly father. And he rewards these wise men who leave. They leave having the solid truth of scripture. But I think they have to be just scratching their heads as they hop on their camels. Says one, I'm so happy for God's word. We would have never found Jesus without God's word. Which other says, but why aren't any of those other Jews coming to meet their own king? We travel a thousand miles and he's only a short walk for them. 
Mr. Wise Guy number one says, beats me. Herod seems excited. Actually, Herod's probably the one guy that actually gets what Christmas is about. But these guys, can you see them? They've been counting down the miles. Now they're to the final five, four, three. And their joy increases as they see the star. This made me recall the increasing joy at the Irvin household when I last preached this text. We actually had twin six-year-olds who were counting down the days. And I realized at that moment six years ago, they were far more aware of I than I was of how their lives were going to be changed when Christmas arrived. When all those hidden things would be revealed, the answer to all they lacked. These wise men, they're just like children. And then at long last they arrived, verse 11, and going into the home, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oh, come let us adore him. Our final point is sacrifice. That short story, O. Henry, he suggested that Della and Jim are the wisest. He's wrong. They're wise, but they're not the wisest. Listen to J.C. Ryle write on the wise men. He's an Anglican bishop. He writes, they saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor woman but they worshiped. No greater faith than this can be found in the whole volume of the Bible. Most people we read about coming to faith in Jesus and the Gospels, they saw Jesus' miracles. Or they actually heard his gracious teaching. What did these guys see? What did they hear? Maybe they saw drool and they heard a little babble. Bah, bah, bah. These guys have incredible faith to fall down and worship this baby. And then to sacrificially pour out vast treasures. This is tens of thousands of dollars. And then leave. This seems so foolish, doesn't it, to the eyes of the world? But it's not. Because friends, the gospel is all about losing in order to gain everything. Losing all in order to gain everything. The Holy Spirit convinced these guys that he was the answer to all their search. And remember what it was that they searched, they were searching for. What were they on the search for? Wisdom. These guys, their whole lives were devoted to wisdom searching. And in the incarnation, you know what Paul says? Jesus became for us the wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians 1.30. What are you searching for? Because the answer to all your searching is found in this little baby. Everything we seek, significance, meaning, strength, love, simply belonging, it's all found in this little 20-pound bundle of joy. Last week we heard this baby was called Emmanuel. God with us. Our Father came near, showing us in Jesus that he wants to be with us. 
These wise men get this. At least they get this because they fall down and they worship. They know this is God. But I found myself wondering if they asked about the other name we heard about last week. God's revealing more names here. He's on this recovery program so we can know him more. Remember that other name we learned? Jesus. The name Jesus tells us that God is not only with us, but for us. Because he came to save us from our sins. As they were bowing down and worshiping, did anybody look up at mom and say, What's his name? What does it mean? I don't know. One of those questions in heaven. But if they did, they would have realized that he came to sacrifice himself for them. They might not have understood it. But all that matters now is if <clears throat> you believe that nails, spear, shall pierce this baby through, the cross be bore for me and for you. And guess what? Jesus didn't lose. In fact, his treasure is you. He got you by losing. And you won't lose if you get Jesus, if you receive him as your Lord, as your Savior, if you bow down and worship him. Christmas, friends, marks the occasion for the greatest gift ever given to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the only gift that keeps on giving. By the way, I've seen a lot of dead people in just the last seven days. Did a funeral. Jim and Della are dead. The watch rusted. Jesus is the only gift that keeps on giving if you will receive him. And I hope that you're getting excited because there's great joy as you come to receive him more and more because there's no end to the joy that he gives, all he has to offer you. Are you excited about God's Christmas gift to you this year? Anybody? Yes. All right. Well, let's conclude by unwrapping our meditation verse. Let's unwrap it like little children. It's found at the bottom of your page, John 1.14. Let's say together, let's unwrap this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't this verse incredible? Our creator made an in-person visit to planet Earth and in the most non-threatening way. Without ceasing to be God, God's son became flesh and bone just like you and I. And he did it. I think this verse is telling us so that we would see his heavenly father, his glory. What is it? Full of grace and truth. <laughs> full of truth because our father must deal with our sins. Full of grace because he sent his greatest treasure to bring you back into relationship. Both found in what is foolishness to this world, Calvary's cross. So as we conclude, you don't have to bring big gifts to Jesus like these guys. But you also don't have to pray that he find you attractive, that you look pretty to him. Because you are a gift from the Heavenly Father to Jesus. And the Father don't give his son no junk, as I've heard some people say. Jesus simply wants you 
as his own, and he wants you to know his heavenly Father. And you can know you're his when you, more and more during your life, just be able to lay everything you have at his feet. Sacrifice everything you have, be willing to lose in order to gain him. And you'll experience exceeding joy for every sacrifice you give. I mean, think about these guys. They put their entire lives on hold for one night with Jesus. Do you see their joy? It was well worth it. Best investment they ever made in their whole lives. And I know there's a lot going on in all of our lives right now. A lot. Press pause on that this Advent. God brought you here to show you that the most rewarding thing you can do this season is grow in your adoration. Grow in your adoration. You will not regret the time, energy, effort that you spend adoring Jesus and knowing your Father. You'll find both that he's worthy and he's worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> we are insufficient to these things. And oh, we find ourselves staggered by this thing that seems too good to be true, you giving your only begotten beloved son, that we might be made your children and brought back into relationship with you, our great creator. I pray that you will help us to appropriate these truths by faith, that we will be searchers seeking you for the rest of our days. May we not leave here searching for anything other than Jesus Christ, and may we find ourselves in our word, your word that you've given to us, this clear communication, how we can know you and know your son better and better. I pray that we might find ourselves willing and able to be fools for Jesus' sake, sacrificing all so that we might gain more than we could ever imagine. And all to your glory, all to your praise, all to the majesty of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.